This Kendra is where they make their mark. This is the time where you've got to turn the table. You've got to take advantage and ride this wave in this momentum. Look out! Welcome back one final time to the Match Preview Podcast. Callum Williams alongside Kendra D. St. Aubin. It's called the Match Preview Podcast, but let's be honest, Kendra, today it's all about reviewing what's been a bizarre 2020 season. But look back with immense pride on what was a fabulous campaign for Minnesota United, who made history by reaching the Western Conference Final. That's where they fell to Seattle Sounders, and that's what we'll be discussing for the majority of this opening segment. We'll be joined by the Minnesota United Technical Director, Mark Watson, a little later on as well, to discuss all things Minnesota United roster. First of all, though, Kendra, we've had a few days now to dissect the Western Conference final and what went down at Lumen Fields. What are your thoughts now, having had that time to think about things? You know, I think for me, it was a little bit of um, not just dissecting it, but also sort of digesting what happened. Um, And, you know, we talked about it a bit in the post-game show on the radio, and I think we were all sort of stunned the way that game ended. And that's what made it so difficult. That's what made this so challenging is the way that Minnesota United lost. The fact that they felt like it felt like they had it in their grasp so late in the match and did they deserve to be up to nothing at the point probably not from a standpoint of run of play shots possession all those things but they scored two fabulous goals two brilliant goals um, that can't go unrecognized but ultimately you know this this is what Seattle does the been there done that mentality when you have been a champion and when you've consistently had teams that make it to the conference final and to MLS cup for that matter, they never took their foot off the gas. I mean, the pedal to the metal, the entire match down to nothing late in the game, 70, whatever minute, you know, what was it? 75th minute. Will Bruin scores that goal. I mean, they, up until they never looked even rattled by the fact that they were down to nothing. And you, you just have to, you have to take a moment and really appreciate what Minnesota United accomplished in 2020. Not just 2020, but let's remind ourselves, this is the fourth year in this league and second straight year in the playoffs in an unbeaten streak that was unparalleled in the league, having not lost a game since September 23rd and in these conditions. So I think that you just really have to focus on the positive and um, it was shocking in that moment. And I think that almost made it more gut wrenching, but ultimately, you know, just a a lot of credit goes to this club, to the staff, to the players and what they were able to accomplish in, in 2020. But man, that was a tough one. It took me a long time to go to sleep that night because you just kind of replayed everything over and over and over and over and over in your mind. Yeah. Echoing a lot of what Adrian Heath has said over the course of the last few days, Kay, that I think, um, a lot of credit has to go to the players for competing as they have done in what was, let's be honest, torrid conditions. It wasn't easy for anybody uh, across the sporting landscape, but particularly in Major League Soccer with the travelling that is required. It wasn't easy and the players should really be commended as well as the supporting staff as well. So before we talk about how the Sounders were able to get the better of Minnesota, talk me through the two goals then. They weren't bad, were they? Yeah, I mean, you know, it was... And I will say this, the the goals were fabulous and nothing. I mean, you cannot take anything away from Emmanuel Reynoso's strike. That set piece was unbelievable. And in real time, you thought it was unbelievable. But as you continued to see the replays and the different angles and 
what is able able to do that. We know the head on straight on shots sometimes are the most difficult in soccer. When the player is in slightly off center to the right or to the left on the edge of the 18, it gives you more options for where you want to put the ball, how you want to curl it around the wall, how you want to beat the goalkeeper. And the fact that this was a little bit more central, you know, sometimes I have my doubts about what a player can do with that, depending on how the wall is set up and where the goalkeeper and how good they are. And Stefan Fry is one of the best. But Emmanuel Reynoso struck that so perfectly, could not have asked for anything better to go up and over the wall, to curl around them, to beat the goalkeeper. I mean, if, if I'm remembering correctly, it hit the, you know, kind of scraped the edge of the post and in. These were just, this this finish by Emmanuel Reynoso was exactly what they needed from him in that moment. And, and a huge piece of the reason, part of the reason about why they brought him to this club. We've seen what he can do in the run of play. We've seen him serve set pieces in. We've seen him get the assists. We've seen him on corner kicks and how he can put the ball on a dime. But to see him in one of the biggest moments of the year put Minnesota on the front foot on the road at Seattle in the Western Conference Final, that is why you play, pay those kind of men, those kind of players, those kind of athletes that kind of money is because they can do that in the biggest moments. And it was unbelievable phenomenal and Reynoso did not have his best game that was probably the worst game I've seen him play and it was really hard for I think all of us and I know it was for me Reynoso Robin Lode Kevin Molino a lot of those guys to know what it was that was causing them they didn't look on right from the beginning and I have a feeling it was probably they were a little tired some heavy legs the travel the short turnaround the season everything combined but what a finish and then Baki Devasi I mean, we've talked so long about, you know, Ike Parra when he was in the fold. And then it was, you know, Boxel when he's in the fold, getting on these set pieces and these services and the numbers and, and the players they can throw in the box to get on the end of these services in. And for him to do that in back-to-back matches and just the intricacies of the header. You know, I mean, sometimes we view these big guys, these big bodies, that they're just going to come in with a brute force. And I think Baki Debasi showed in both of his goals, that it was more skill and touch with the flick on the header and and the redirection of the header and the goal than it was just powering your way through as a big body on a set piece. And it was two beautiful finishes for Minnesota United. And I'm just unfortunate that we're not going to talk about those as much or people aren't because they go on to lose three to two. It's a good point, Kay, about Reynoso as well. These are the types of players that you bring in for this occasion. And in most cases, he's delivered when it's mattered most with the free kick against Seattle, another set-piece delivery as well. Seven assists in three playoff games. Nobody in the history of Major League Soccer has got seven assists throughout the playoffs. And that was just in three games as well. Imagine if they'd have gotten to MLS Cup, you'd have put money on and getting more as well. So excited to see what a full season of Emmanuel Reynoso looks like next season for Minnesota United. But obviously, as we've mentioned, the Sounders came back and credit where credit's due. They are serial winners. They've been described as a dynasty. And I think it's difficult to disagree with that when you look at the amount of playoff appearances they've had and the amount of success and trophies they've had over the course of the last few years. But in this single game, though, Kindra, particularly in the second half, what did they do that got the better of Minnesota? How did they turn things around and score three goals as quickly as they did? Well, you know, I, you know, when Will Bruin came on in the 75th minute, I literally was thinking to myself, all this guy does is score goals. That's what he does. He can come on in the 90th minute. He can come on in whatever minute it is that he comes on. 
this guy's singular focus is to score goals. And he's just one of those players that can put himself in the right spot at the right time. So if we're just part of it is just, you know, I think head coach Brian Schmetzer made some fabulous substitutions. Will Bruin being healthy and able to come on in that moment to add that spark, to add the fresh legs and the quality of the player that Will Bruin is just knowing how to find those pockets of space. I mean, this was not a clean finish. This was just him finding the ball and, and coming off a deflection, coming off a defensive play and putting one away. And that just ignited this group. Ladero continued the entire second half to do what he does. He floats, he finds spaces, he found himself out wide. I think Leardom was a massive substitution for them. I think right away I could see his ability on the ball, his ability on the ball to, to take players 1v1, to get down that right-hand side, to create opportunities, and just to be a threat where then all of a sudden – Chase Gasper is having to think a little bit more defensively than he had been prior in the game. That one v one situation, getting to the inline, cutting it back, forcing the double team. Um, and again, I think, you know, Gustav Svensson, another player who had prior and previous years played a ton of minutes for them and been, been integral and had, if I remember correctly, a pretty amazing goal against Minnesota United, a strike from distance. I don't know if it was last year or the year before, but these are all players that have been there and done that and with the experience. And then uh, Brad Smith, another one who had hardly played since he'd come back to Seattle Sounders, but he knows the system. He knows what Brian Schmetzer is asking him. He knows what Christian Roldan's going to do. He knows what Ladero's going to do. Rui Diaz is going to do Jordan Morris. These are all known entities with a chemistry and a mindset and a familiarity of system that they were able to just continue to press on and everyone knew exactly what their role was, even though they were coming onto the pitch late in the game, down to nothing. And I just think, you know, uh, you know, we hardly talked about Joe Paulo, I don't think, because he didn't really have to do that much. Even Christian Roldan, not until late in the game, did he really start to make more runs forward. But you could start to see his quality. Jordan Morris started to shift from left to right to find the game. He served a beautiful through ball with the outside of his right foot. I think it was to Leardom late in the game. So you could just start to see their numbers pressing forward from an attacking standpoint and the fluidity, once again, of their attacking players, just finding the space, finding the game, never giving up. And I do think at this moment, and I heard Brian Schmetzer say this last week before Minnesota, the game against Minnesota, is nobody's listening to the coach at this point. They're done listening to the coach about tactics at this point. They just want to get out there and play. They just need to play the game. And how much more is it? Is it mental than it is tactical at this point in the season, even though they hadn't played Seattle all season long? And it is. It's part of the mental fortitude of been there, having done that. And I do think the two days extra rest played a pivotal role late in that match. You could see some of Minnesota players just, you know, their legs were heavy. It was a long, uh, a long game and a quick turnaround. Running on fumes, weren't they, at the end? I think that was clear for just about everybody to see. Two things for me, which I, I said on the other podcast as well, I, I think... For me, number one, I agree. I think the, the introduction of Leah Darm and Smith really changed things for them because the Seattle Sounders, when you go back and rewatch the game, prior to that, yes, they had the ball in wide areas from time to time, but there wasn't a lot of threat from out wide. And you go back and you look at that first goal. I know Bruin gets a little bit of fortune because it deflects off of, I believe it's Michael Boxall, and he gets the second opportunity. But the ball comes in from the right-hand side from Leah Darm. Brad Smith had plenty of, of chances on the overlapping run as well to cross the ball in. And I think that gave them a new dimension that Minnesota didn't really have too much of a chance to think too much and prepare too much um, about and, and, and get to terms with too quickly. Um, the other thing for me 
which I, I again it's difficult because I don't know how you address this in the current format that Minnesota went with in Seattle. We mentioned it on the commentary. The direct pass from the back of the Seattle Sounders caused a lot of problems. Whether they were going as long as they could to go over the top of the Loon's back line, which we knew would play a, a high line, um, particularly from wide areas. Um, Morris and Jones, although operating as inverted wingers, got a lot of the ball because of those direct passes. And also, even if the, the back line, uh, whether it was Andrade or Shane O'Neill, um, clips it forward into the path of Lodero. I, I, I thought there were too many times where Minnesota didn't defend from the front. Now, a lot of that comes back to the the situation that they're in where they're playing a false nine. Um, obviously, as a false nine, you're expected to, to be a little deeper. You're not expected to, to press high. Um, but also, I don't think Minnesota have a centre-forward that can press high at the moment, and, and maybe they'll address that in the off-season. We'll, we'll chat to Mark Watson about that, perhaps, in the next segment. Um, but it seemed as though that there wasn't enough pressure and it seemed as though the Sounders' back line had a lot of um, too much time on, on, on the ball. They had too much time in possession. The one thing I will say as well, though, Kendra, I don't know, I don't know if, if the Sounders were forced to play that way. Either way, it works. But I don't know if they were forced to play that way. Because, again, if you go back and watch the game, every time, or at least for the most part, when Ladero has the ball, he's a lot higher up the fields in terms of, he, from a Minnesotan point of view, he's deeper. He, he's he's picking the ball up in, a, in a, almost a six-roll from time to time. That's not where the Sounders want him. That's exactly where Adrian Heath would have wanted him. So I thought the likes of Alonso and Gregor actually contained Ladero quite well. But where Minnesota struggled was, was dealing with the little clipped balls over the top and the little direct passes, which really caused them a problem, in, in my opinion. Um, but look, at the end of the day, it, it's been a fabulous season for Minnesota United. Because if I would have said to you, Kendra, at the start of the season, regardless of, of the COVID pandemic or not, the Loons would have finished fourth and gotten themselves to a Western Conference final. Correct me if I'm wrong, you would have absolutely bitten my hand off, no? Yeah, and I think if you ask anybody that, that this would be, you know, and honestly, let's, let's be fair, going into 2020 before the pandemic, I think everyone's goal was to win the first round playoff game. You know, get farther than you got the year before because it's unrealistic for everybody to just go, oh, our goal is to win the MLS Cup. You know, I mean, that's just not a realistic goal for anybody to just fly into the season and say that. You know, I, I really do think that everyone kind of is realistic in their goals, and I'm saying that across the board for any team. But I do think Minnesota's goal was to win the first round of the playoffs, get to the playoffs clearly as a bare minimum, and the next step is – winning the first round game because hosting last year against LA Galaxy, you really felt like that was a game that you probably should have come away with a better result and, and maybe didn't play as well as you could have in that game. So yes, if you would have told me at the beginning of 2020, and definitely after MLS is back and the shutdown and not even knowing if we were going to resume the season, that Minnesota and I would be in a Western conference final um, after hosting a first round playoff game, once again, going on the road and beating sporting Kansas city and then on short rest, heading to Seattle and even having a 2 nothing lead in that game. I mean, those are all boxes that you would have only dreamed of at that point um, because of just the nature of this league, the nature of the competition. You know, if you're, if you're not doing something to get yourself better, then you're essentially standing still as everybody else is making improvements. And Minnesota United did that in the offseason, and we talked so much about the depth. But the other thing I think, if we're kind of just recapping 2020, is if you would have also told me that we wouldn't have Icopara for 98% of that season and still made this run, I think we probably would have gotten laughed at. 
And I remember even in MLS's back, before we knew that Icapara was going to miss the tournament, all the pundits out there and different people were saying, oh, Minnesota could be a favorite to win this tournament. I could see them. They've got their stuff together. They've made these acquisitions. They have another year together with Ozzy and Ike and yada, yada, yada. And the second Ike was scratched, people all of a sudden said, Minnesota's not even going to get out of their group. They're not even going to get out of their group because Icapara is that important. And I think they underestimated the value of the rest of this team and that back line. And, oh, by the way, you're on your third goalkeeper of the season. So, again, what Minnesota did and accomplished, I think you've really got to give credit where credit is due, top to bottom, front to back. And I thought it was fitting that yesterday on our, you know, on our all-staff call that Adrian, when he got to speak to the rest of Minnesota United, the first thing he did was give credit to Angie Blaker and Stacey Harden, Stacey, the head of the athletic training, and then also Angie Blaker, who does all the coordinating. I mean, imagine how difficult her job is on a daily basis, let alone in 2020. So again, top to bottom, front to back, everyone will take this uh, Western Conference final and try to get better and move on to 2021, whenever that starts. Angel, what can Minnesota United take? What will they have learnt from their postseason run over the course of the last few weeks? I think the first thing that they'll take is that they're probably a lot tougher than they thought. You know, and I think a lot of people, when they're faced with challenges in your job and your personal life and your whatever it might be, you know, you think you maybe have a certain level, a threshold that you can reach. And then you you once you're pushed, you realize how strong you really are and you can push it to that next level. And I think every one of these players, because of 2020 and what they've accomplished and what they endured, will realize that they're tougher than they thought. I think from a tactical soccer standpoint, I think what they're all going to take is that each week they grew a little bit more. And, and these are in crazy weeks. These are times that sometimes they couldn't even train together. And they're going to figure out their little, the little intricacies of, of each other, of their teammates, of playing together, of what it means to really come together as a cohesive unit and play together and go forward and defend for that matter. So I think that they're going to focus the most on the mental, emotional fortitude that this club um, established and really grew during this season. And they can carry that over to 2021. Um, but, you know, in a lot of that growth and a lot of that success were some pieces that are up in the air for 2021. So that's going to be an interesting facet to see what happens with some of these roster moves and changes and who else gets brought in. A lot was made of the lack of respect towards Minnesota United this season. Do we think after this campaign, Kendra, and the individuals that they've got at their disposal, will that respect start to become apparent? Will that respect become a regularity? Or is this something that Minnesota have just simply got to deal with and be okay with the underdog role, which, let's be honest, they, they seem to be comfortable in that role. Is this a geographical thing in Major League Soccer, or, or, or can this change? Well, there's two things there. I think, you know, the lack of respect sometimes is built up from within. And, you know, every coach has their way of getting their teams motivated, getting themselves motivated. So there is an aspect of it clearly that I think comes from Minnesota United. Is Minnesota United driven? 
it's Midwest. It's a Minnesota thing. You're stuck in the middle of the country. You're not New York. You're not LA. You're not Miami. So, you know, any Midwest team always kind of plays this thing of, you know, not getting the respect that some of the coastal team does do in every sport. And some of it's, you know, Adrian Heath's mantra of always saying they're the underdog because they've been put up against that since 2017 when this club was started. And I think because we were pinned against Atlanta United and when Minnesota United came into the league, you always felt like the little, you know, the, the, I don't even know what you want to call it, like some middle child syndrome where you were just left behind and forgotten. So some of it, I think the the lack of respect mantra was probably built from within, but at the same time, there absolutely is a, a factor outwardly from some people and from some pundits. And when you get in some of these matchups that you don't stand a chance. And I think that Adrian Heath and the club, rightfully so, have just time and time again proven people wrong. And but but let's let's be fair though, Cal. I mean, in every press call, every media availability, every opposition coach, player, and, and the like that we listen to going into every Minnesota United match, everybody has so much respect for Adrian Heath has respect for this roster, respect for this team. So again, I mean, are we just talking from like a media perspective or are we actually talking from a, a player team coaching perspective? Because none of those coaches in the league doubt Adrian Heath's ability as a coach and what he can do in this roster. Now, bringing Emmanuel Reynoso in, game changer. Game changer from a respect standpoint in my mind because that has been a crucial piece of this puzzle that has been lacking for quite some time. They finally got the true number 10 that they spend a lot of money on. And just bringing in a player like that elevates the entire team and it elevates the way others see you, view you, feel about you when you face them. So it, it's a combination to me. I don't mind the underdog role. They embrace the underdog role. It's just, it's kind of a thing. But at the same time, you just don't know if it's driven by media, if it's driven by, you know, Adrian and his staff, if it's driven by, you know, because I think other coaches and players have a ton of respect for Adrian Heath and this club. Okay, well, um, let's sort of semi-put a bow on 2020, shall we? It was a very successful campaign for Minnesota United. Maybe we'll talk a little bit about it with Mark Watson in the next segment. But we are recording this on the afternoon of Friday, December 11th. It was announced earlier on today um, some of the players that will be coming back and some of the players that won't be coming back to Minnesota United. The individuals that have had their options declined as it stands are Aaron Schoenfeld, James Musa, Gregory Ranjit Singh, Jose Aha, and Kevin Partida. Um, we understand Kai Kamara and Raheem Edwards out of contract with the league as well, so they won't be returning, at least to Minnesota. We'll talk about individuals that are in discussions to have their contracts renewed in a bit, Kendra, because there are one or two eyebrow-raising names. But who stands out to you in terms of those that won't be returning? You know, to be fair, none of them, none of them really stand out to me. And I know that, you know, I mean, a player like a Kevin Partita, I think we all knew, you know, when these guys were brought in from USL contracts that they were, it was an audition for them. And, um, you know, Adrian Heath and his staff chose to keep a couple around and Foster Langsdorf and, and um, Sam Gleadel, but others are going to be moving on. But I do think that um, Schoenfeld, James Musa, who hardly got any minutes down the stretch, um, you know, 
Jose Aha, I think he was serviceable and did what they needed him to do in a time where he was needed in the center back position. Same with Aaron Schoenfeld from, you know, a striker position at the time. Kai Kamara, you know, Adrian was asked about the today on the media availability, like for what they spent on him, would you do it all over again? And Adrian said, hands down, absolutely, I would make that move again. I would, I would get him here in a heartbeat because at that moment in time, it was the right thing to do. And we needed a, a target. We needed a striker. You know, and hindsight's always twenty twenty. I don't think Kai was nearly as productive as they were hoping he would be. Um, just coming with the accolades and the goal scoring and the success that he has had. Um, but I do understand and agree with Adrian and why that move was made at that time in that decision. Um, and I think Kai would tell you the same thing if you asked him, did you feel like you did enough? Um, did you feel like you did what you needed to do or what you wanted to do when you got here? And I think he would tell you no. Other than that, Raheem Edwards, same thing. It was kind of like he was a great depth quality player with a ton of energy, but ultimately, you know, they want to find some guys that are going to be here longer term and fit this kind of system and um, not just a spark plug off the bench. So I think uh, it's going to be important to bring some of these guys back that they're in discussions with, but I wasn't shocked when I saw the list by any means on any name that uh, they declined the contract options for. And I don't know if you were, but I was not shocked at anybody's name that was on there. The, the only one for me where I kind of thought he might have been useful going forward because he is a green card holder as well is Jose Aha. But it has been suggested by Adrian today to the media that they are looking at bringing in another centre-back that can push whoever will be viewed as the, the first-choice centre-halves next season. Um, that was the one that really stood out to me. Um, what about the individuals, Kendra, that are currently in negotiations with Minnesota to remain at the club? Marlon Hairston, Brent Coleman and Ja'Cory Hayes. We'll start with those three before moving on to, to the big stories. But uh, would we expect those three to return? I would, if they can come to an agreement and we don't know what they're negotiating about. Is it money? Is it terms? Is it years I mean I don't know but if they can come to an agreement and find a middle ground I'd say absolutely those three guys need to return I think you know Ja'Cory Hayes and um, Marlon Harrison were well worth Ja'Cory Hayes more for me than Marlon Harrison but I think that they were worth their weight in gold and as far as what they had to pay for and what they got from them what what how they contributed how they showed their versatility how also they just were ultimate team players, chemistry guys, the kind of guy that you want in the locker room and that you can throw in a game at any moment and they'll get the job done. Brent Coleman, again, you know, I don't know what his contracts, I don't know what they're talking about, what they're negotiating. Maybe it's bringing the dollar amount down a little bit for what he was played and how many games he was actually able to play in. And it's so much is going to depend on what they are doing on that back line. Is Ike Parr coming back? Are they bringing another center back? Now you've got DeBossi. You can play left center back and left back. So, you know, I think for me, um, Brent Coleman, I think he was great when he was in there. The handful of games he got to play between, um, you know, injury and suspension. And I would bring him back at the right price. Ja'Cory Hayes, I think absolutely bring him back at the right price. I'm not as sold on a Marlon Harrison, but I think those others are, are must do, um, you know, if you can make it work monetarily. And, and, you know, those guys need to see what else is out there if they want to, if, if they feel like there's a need for them somewhere else. Okay, well, let's wrap things up, shall we? And uh, let's save Ozzy Alonso and Kevin Molino conversations for the next segment with the technical director of Minnesota United, Mark Watson. That's next.
Morning, very warm. Welcome back to our match preview podcast. Callum Williams alongside Kindra D. St. Aubin. And we're joined by a very, very special guest today to help us recap the 2020 season and look ahead. The technical director of Minnesota United, Mark Watson, joins us. Watto, thank you very much for your time. We know it's a very, very busy time for you. Looking ahead to bringing in individuals into the 2021 roster. We'll get to that shortly. Don't worry about that. Uh, first of all, let's talk about what was 2020. Um, unprecedented. I don't think anybody ever expected to see a season like that before. But how much credit did this group of players deserve after what they achieved? Yeah, I, I mean, I don't think there'll be another year like it ever, you know, and I think um, we kept we're continuing to be confronted with with new challenges and um, and and new new things that no one had ever had to deal with. So there was there was a lot of um things on the fly and just, you know, no one really had any precedent set for, for what was in front of us. So um, from a, from a group perspective, you know, I think you look at the start of the season, great start, win two games on the road, you know, really happy with the group, added a lot of depth, you know, and, and then, and then everything stopped. So um, since that time, it's been just challenge after challenge after challenge. And the one thing I think will be the big takeaway is we are so proud of this group. You know, one of the, one of the things we wanted to do was build more depth, um, you know, have guys for comp competing for spots and have, you know, 15, 20, 25 players that, that were all competing and all could contribute um, on a match day. And, you know, we, I think we achieved that. And there was, there was moments where we had so many players out, players that had COVID, you know, long-term injuries and whatever group um, was chosen for that game, they put a full shift in. And I, I think it's why we, at the end, when we got healthy and we got our, you know, our best available players on the field, we had the chance to do so well, but I, I don't even know if we would have made the playoffs um, in a regular year without such a strong group. Um, and that's a testament to, to the, to the whole group and to the club and, and the progress we've made. We, we had such a good locker room. We had such a, you know, a strong collective um, that we were able to get get through all those challenges. And let's be honest, everyone had challenges. This was a year, um, like I said, unprecedented and challenges the whole way. When you look at the long-term injuries we had to key players, you know, starting goalkeeper goes down at the end of the Orlando tournament. Ike Opara, defender of the year, plays two games and then doesn't play again. You know, our goal scorer, the guy we brought in to score all our, all our goals, basically played two games as well and then struggled with his injury and finally got season-ending surgery. Uh, our captain, Ozzy Alonso, was, was hurt a large part of the year. You know, so, so we missed some key players. And I think, I think teams that miss so many key players, you know, right down the proverbial spine of your team, there's, there's going to be a serious drop-off. And, you know, the, the guys that came in, um, you know, really did a good job. And we, we battled and we fought for everything. And, you know, at the end, we, we got healthy and everything kind of came together. And, um, played some incredible stuff and, you know, got into the playoffs and, um, you know, ended up with a, a disappointing loss in Seattle in the end. But, um, you know, it was, it, was, it was quite a journey and you know, I could probably go on for hours about it. But, you know, the, the big takeaway was we had a great group of guys. They, they fought every day. They came to work every day. Um, all, the, all the things you could have complained about, they just got on with it. So it was, it, it's, it's, a, it's pretty pr a proud moment to see that group and how they handled you know, such a year. Well, and 
Mark, we can go up and down the roster and grade the positions and, and who did what, but at you in this position in your first year with Minnesota United in this role, how would you grade yourself in 2020 and in any year, but let alone 2020 and what you were able to accomplish with this team and help create that depth that you're talking about? I have to give myself a grade. You don't have to actually give yourself a grade, but how would you I'm evaluate plus, performance? <laughs> you deserve a raise. Yes. Yeah, it was, it was a challenging year. It was, it was my first year in this position. You know, I, I think I knew the, the core components of the job, but um, you know, it's not so you get into the day to day that um, you really realize how, how difficult it is. So uh, we had a good group to build off from the year before, you know, but you're, you're trying to get better and it's, it's hard to, it's hard to, to get better and find the right guys at the right, right price point. So, um, but I, I, th I think we achieved that, you know, the one thing I, I was really conscious of, and I've been here since, since day one of MLS, we, we had some good moments in the first couple of years, but we, we realized that we wanted to, you know, build a, a team and a club with a really defined philosophy a really good culture and a really good group of guys. We want every single one of our guys to come to work every day. You know, when we're playing at Allianz in front of our, our best supporters in the league, we want to make sure that every single guy gives 100%. Because I think the people here really appreciate that. And there were moments in our first couple of years, and I remember speaking to Adrian about it. You know, we didn't have a, a great game. We got beat. Sometimes we got beat quite significantly. And, you know, there there were times when we probably should have been booed off the field, but our, our fans recognized that our guys, you know, maybe weren't the best team, but they gave a hundred percent and they fought for 90 minutes and we got a standing ovation leaving the field. And it was, it was a really profound moment. So that is something that, you know, that we took forward and wanted to make sure that was going to be um, a prerequisite of every player coming to the club and, and a real ethos of how we, um, how we want to move forward and what we stand for. So that, that was a big thing for me. And, you know, the, the summer signings, I think were, were really big additions. Um, it was pretty clear. They were both good players. I'm talking about Reynoso and um, Debasi. Um, but my big job was I need to know if these are good guys. I need to know if they're, they're um, good characters, if they're good trainers, if they're going to fit into our group, because we have a, a really strong locker room now. And those those questions were answered pretty quickly. And since they've come in, they've they've been great additions and great additions to the locker room as as well as the field. So um, overall, I think, you know, it was it was good. I think, you know, we we've been reflecting the past couple of days. Uh, I won't lie to you that the couple of days after the Seattle game have been really difficult. And you compound that with having to make some really tough roster decisions. So a couple rough days, you know, but we'll we'll reflect on the season, you know, in a, in a positive way, we made progress. Um, we're stronger now at the end of this year than we were at the end of last year. Um, but then we have, we have to do it again, you know, some tough decisions. Um, probably the worst day in someone in my position's life is to have to, to say goodbye to players, players that have done a good job for you and fought and scratched and, um, got through this year. So that was, that's, that's been hard. Um, but we're salary cap league and, you know, with this next year, not having this, this salary cap raised and players salaries going up, we had to make some, some really hard decisions and there's still more to come. Um, but that's, but that's the job. Yeah. 
And as you said, you've got to do it all again. And there were some really significant names that were on the list that was announced as we're recording this today on Friday, December 11th. I know these conversations were had a few days ago, Walter, so it's been a very difficult mm -hmm. couple of days for you. Um, those players that have had their options declined, for those unaware, Aaron Schoenfeld, James Musa, Gregory Ranjit Singh, Jose Aha, and Kevin Partida, both Kai Kamara and Raheem Edwards, out of contract with the league as well, so they won't be returning to Minnesota. How difficult was it to make those decisions over the course of the last few days, Walter? It's, it's really difficult, you know. <laughs> The, the one thing is just the timing of it. And, and not that we didn't have discussions, you know, Adrian and the staff and I, we speak regularly. Um, so we're, you know, at all times kind of evaluating and preparing for that, but it comes really quickly and it's the day after your last game. So, you know, we're kind of um, struggling to uh, make sense of the end of the season. And then you have to, you have to have these, these discussions. So it's tough. Um, you know, you kind of, shroud it with you know we have to do what's best for the club you know and a lot of times they're financial decisions you know someone's someone's option years at a significantly higher number and with the cap not being raised at all you know it just doesn't work the basic math doesn't work there's there's so much that goes on behind the scenes that you know that the average person wouldn't see but um those are hard decisions we have to make we have a lot of players graduating from the supplemental roster onto the senior roster so there could be four players coming onto that senior roster and, you know, and we, we had to make decisions off that too. So it, it's difficult. You know, we, um, we had to say goodbye to some great, great guys, guys that, you know, made big contributions this year. So it's, it's not a day you look forward to, but it's, you know, it's, it's part of the job and, you know, you have to look at it as, you know, how do we get better and how do we uh, do the best we can under, under a salary cap? When you look at that roster, and we just talked about the players that their contracts were declined in some tough decisions, but the players that the, the options were picked up by the club, Ethan Finley, Foster Langsdorf, Dane St. Clair, Noah Billingsley, Hassani Dotson, Sam Guidel, Chase Gasper. Some of those may be obvious decisions to people that follow the club and, and follow the team, but some maybe not so much. So what goes into that aspect? Like a Foster Langsdorf, what did he show you guys in the moments that, that he did have with the club or at training? Or Noah Billingsley, who didn't get a ton of minutes but was on loan for a bit. What, how do you go about you know, making the decision on who you're picking up? Well, I think you, you do it on an individual basis, but on a, on a collective as well. So, you know, let's take Noah Billingsley, for, for example. He's a, he's a young kid. He just finished his first year. He's a rookie. Um, he's on a rookie contract. And he's someone that, that um, you know, just needs some more time to, to get to the point where we think he's going to be a starting MLS player. Um, you know, the, the structure of the roster, we have 20 senior roster spots. We have four. Uh, senior minimum spots, 21 through 24, we call them. And then we have roster spots from 25 and above. So there's different price points. You know, you have to, you have to work with that. So there, there's players that have done well and you think, well, why is he not coming back? Well, it's, it's a senior roster and, and a cap issue. As simple as that. It's, if, if we were like most leagues in the world, you'd keep all those guys because there's no cap and you can, you can have a bigger squad. Um, we're not like that. There's, there's mechanisms in place you know, to keep the cost at a, at a consistent level and also to, to promote young players coming up. So the, the lower spots, you know, they, they assure places for the younger players to get, to get time to develop. So, um, so, so much goes into it. And I know, you know, for some people looking on the outside in, some things don't make sense, but, 
know, there really is a, a plan and a reason for everything we do. Well, so unless something untoward happens, we're assuming those that are in discussions with the club about their contracts will remain. I'm talking about <clears throat> Marlon Hairston, Brent Carmen, and Ja'Cory Hayes. We'll, we'll perhaps get to Ozzy Alonso and Kevin Molino. I think their situation is a little more uh, intriguing and, and specialised. But mm-hmm. the names I mentioned, Hairston, Carmen, and, and Hayes, one would assume they would return, no? Um, you know, possibly, yeah. Like like I said, it's a, it's a salary cap situation. So... Um, we'd like to have all of them back, um, but we're in discussions with all of them. And depending on how those discussions go and what number and terms we can agree to, that'll, that'll dictate what, what we do moving forward. So uh, I, I won't say any more on that in terms of specific numbers and things, but it's just um, you're trying to make the puzzle work. So um, like I said, we have 20 senior roster spots and we have potentially four younger players coming onto that roster, which was already full. So. Um, you know, just just sheer numbers, it's it's going to be challenging. So it's just trying to work out all that and making sure that, um, you know, we keep the core of the team together. Um, you know, you always work off you what, what you think your starting lineup is and, and go from there. But, um, you know, nonetheless, it's, it's going to be tough. And like I said, we'd like to have everyone come back, but that's not realistic in a, in a salary cap league. And what are the... Two players that we mentioned there as well. The the two big names, Kevin Molino. Adrian Heath said to the press today on, on December 11th that he'd been offered the, the highest number possible in Major League Soccer in the United States. And also Ozzy Alonso, um, Adrian saying to the press that perhaps you were going to revisit with him next week. Obviously, he's look, he's still fantastic. He's not the player he was at 35. It would be difficult to expect him to play 30-plus games next season. Right, so yeah, I'll speak, to, speak about Ozzy first. Um, yeah, he's, I mean, he, he's been incredible for us. And I know he's he's been in the league a long time, mostly with Seattle. But the last two years, he's made such a big, big difference to this club on the field and off the field. You know, he's a competitor. He's a warrior. Um, you know, and he has, he has such a presence off the field as well. You know, he's a guy that's never missed the playoffs. And I think we benefited significantly from, from him, you know, um, just being at the club and having that that air about him and that confidence and that um, that competitiveness that th- there is no way this club is not going to make the playoffs and I think I think the group really responded to him so um, he's 35 years old you know we know Father Time gets us at some point um, but what we've done is we've we've made a really good offer to Ozzy to to try and come back like I said I, we don't expect him to play 34 games. Um, but it was really important that we, and I've known him since he he first arrived in the country at, at his first club. So I've 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 been with Ozzy since since day one. So it's it's a it's an important thing for me and, and very emotional as well. But um, we feel like we've offered him something really competitive, um, you know, with some other opportunities to to be at the club long term and to be here after he's done playing. So um, he's someone that's really special to us, and we uh, we felt we needed to you know, keep him and, and, and have him on the field because he still has a big contribution to make, but also give him a pathway to, to what's next. And I know that's, that's important to him and his family. So, you know, hopefully those, those discussions continue to go well. And then what of Kevin Molino? Kevin Molino. Yeah. Um, so yeah, as Adrian said, uh, he's an unrestricted free agent. You know, the, the specifics on terms of how those deals can happen are, are pretty clear. Um, and Adrian said, and he's, he's absolutely right, we've offered him the best deal possible. 
Um, so being his parent club, we have the, the ability to go a little bit higher than, you know, the, the offers he'll be subject to once free agency opens on December 16th. Uh, so we've gone above and beyond that. So Kevin has the best offer he'll, he'll get in the league. So the offer's been extended. Um, they wanted some time to get through the playoffs and focus on the end of the season. Um, but we expect to, uh, to speak to his representatives in the next couple of days and, and get a deal done. That's our expectation. So um, I think it was plain for all to see how well Kevin was, was playing with our group. I think he really responded to the players around him. And, you know, you look at the last, last couple of months, especially Kevin was at the top of his game and, and, you know, we see him, we see that group that was, that was on the field, you know, doing so well and scoring so many goals. That's part of our core moving forward. And just real quick, um, Wado, before I was going to ask you about Luis Amaria, but about Kevin Molino and, and being a former player yourself, how much do you think that goes into his decision about who he is playing alongside and who he gets to play with? And Emmanuel Reynoso and Molino, the connection, the chemistry, what we've seen together and, and the fun and the joy they have and the, the common ideas on the field. How much right. do you think that plays into a player's decision staying or leaving? Uh, I, I think it really matters. And I think in Kevin's specific case, I think it, I think it's everything to him. Kevin loves the game. He's, he's not a lover of some of the things around the game. He just wants to play. And when he's playing around other good players, players that are on the same page, you know, I think it was evident for everyone to see we had an incredible connection with, with Reynoso and Robin and Ethan Finley. There was, there was a really good uh, connection and you could see Kev was enjoying it. I think especially with Reynoso being being the number 10 and being the, the guy that wanted the ball to make the final pass, I think we saw a freer version of Kevin and, and someone who was willing to run in behind and score goals, um, knowing that he's got someone with really high quality of the final pass, that if he makes that run, he's he's expecting to get the ball. You know, and I think that was that's kind of what happened in the, the final part of the season. We had those guys healthy on the field at the same time. And it was, I mean, it was, it was pretty evident for all to see that that was, that was the game being played at a very high level. So I know Kevin enjoyed that. He's in his little, little sweet spot on the left-hand side coming in on his right foot and, and wanting to make runs and knowing now that he has, he has people around him that can get him the ball. And, you know, I think as much as he, he deserves a lot of credit for, for making the runs and scoring goals. Um, you know, I think it's, I think it really is a collective and, you know, that group hadn't played that many games together. So, you know, our job is to, to keep them together and, and have that relationship, you know, develop and, and foster, even improve moving forward. So uh, to answer your question, I think Kevin really enjoys the group that we have and um, I expect him to be back next year. What about Luis Amaria? If you could give some insight on the technicalities, the intricate details of what goes into trying to bring him back and, and how that works with another club with Velez. Yeah. So I'll just touch on Luis's situation quickly. So um, someone we were very high on and are still very high on, and it was a very frustrating year. I think we saw the real Luis Samaria early on, um, you know, and the, and the first two games, you know, he, he did really well in preseason. We, we could tell he was a player of quality. Um, and someone that was going to mix well with the group. And the first two games were great, scored a bunch of goals. Um, and, and the player we were looking for, you know, a good player, but just comes alive in the box, incredible movement, um, you know, great attacking crosses, was, was very good at finishing with his head. Um, 
you know, and someone that we felt was uh, one of the missing pieces to the puzzle to help us score goals. Um, so after the first two games, you know, he, he had issues. It took a while to get diagnosed. And in the end, you know, he, had a, he had a pretty significant injury that the doctor that finally operated on him said, you know, this would have been really difficult to, to move around. Um, so he got the surgery and the, the prognosis was, he, we should expect excellent results. You know, this will give him an incredible amount of relief and he'll be back to, you know, at least the movement and, and mobility level that he was, he was playing when he first came. So um, in terms of, you know, how we, how we get him back, it's not in our control because he's owned by Vela's Sarsfield in Argentina. So he was on a one-year loan. What we're looking to do is, is to get him back for another year. Um, so we've reached out to, to the representatives and basically offered the, you know, that deal. Um, there's still some negotiations. Um, the one thing that I think will get this over the line is, is Luis wants to come back. He made that really clear. You know, there's unfinished business for him here in, in Minnesota. And, you know, he, he was, you know, it, it was really hard for him all year. He's another kid that just loves to play and wants to, wants to be there every game. So he felt he let us down. Um, and this is something he wants to do. He loved the club. He made some great relationships and some connections with the guys. And he has a sense of unfinished business. So, um, you know, we've told him we're, we're trying to bring you back. And, you know, he wants to come back. So we're, we're, we're very hopeful something can be done. That's great to hear. Really hoping Amaria can return to Minnesota United, especially with that sort of attitude. Uh, Watson, before we let you go, one final question. It'll remain on the centre-forward subject. It's been a need mm -hmm. for Minnesota United for some time now. As it stands, only Foster Langsdorf, uh, the only recognisable centre-forward on the roster. Adrian Heath said to us earlier on today in the press availability that he won't be the only centre-forward that the Loons will try and bring in. As it stands, and I quote, you are actively in negotiations to bring another forward in. What can you tell us? Um, so I will just confirm what Coach Heath has said. So, you know, we're looking to strengthen everywhere, and I, I don't think it's just one player for every position. So, you know, we got, we got thin up, up front this year, um, you know, it had to make some, some hard decisions, you know, through the middle of the year, they weren't necessarily long-term decisions. We brought Kai in, you know, um, that was, that was a situation where we, we brought him in just before the end of the, um, the end of the transfer window uh, to, to help us out in that spot. But we, we were looking to get deeper in every position. Um, like I said, we're looking to bring Luis back, but we're going to try and bring one or two, one or two more, um, you know, it's a salary cap situation as well. So you'll have players at different price points. Um, so we're keeping that in mind, but you know, we, we'd like to add, we'd like to add one more and have competition for that spot, you know, knowing that you need depth and there's injuries and, you know, there's a potential to play with, with two strikers as well. So I think it gives us a little bit of flexibility, but uh, yeah, we're looking at another option up front as well. Watson, really appreciate your time. Thank you very much for joining us. Wait, 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 Thanks, wait, guys. wait, wait. You can't let him go without a prediction for Saturday. Oh, right. MLS Cup, yes, of course. Yes, prediction for that then, please, Watson. <laughs> yes, I'm going um, Seattle 2-0. Okay, Kendra? Um, I'm, going, uh, I'm going Seattle 2-1, and I think I would have gone otherwise if Santos and Nagby were in the match, but I'm going that way. 
Cal? I'm going to go. Uh, I'm going to go Seattle three-one. I think we'll, we'll leave okay. it there, shall we? But we'll wait and okay. see. Uh, MLS Cup, of course, you can watch that on Saturday evening on Fox. The league's premier game should be absolutely wonderful this year. Our thanks to Mark Watson, the technical director of Minnesota United, for his time, as always, to Kindred St. Auburn, our producer Morgan Lubin as well. And that's that. That's a wrap for 2020 and Minnesota United. No doubt we'll be doing these podcasts uh, sporadically when we need to, when there's news to bring to you and conversations to be had. But for now, thanks for listening and we'll see you in 2021.